Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Brian. Brian and his beautiful voice. You can tell I'm a rookie because I'm supposed to be up here before he finishes the song. <laughs> right? Come on. That's what they call me. Um, just before we get started, some housekeeping. Uh, since we've since we've last seen each other, uh, there's there's been another televised mass shooting, and so I want to acknowledge the families in Tennessee and Nashville. And um, I mean, we continue to pray, but we pray for our leaders to make wise decisions and how to prevent uh, more tragedy. Um, another thing that happened this week is our own Heaven had her car stolen. Um, so if you know Sam posted, I think if you know Heaven, you love her, right? That's that's kind of it. That's her whole thing. And so uh, she's not here today, probably because she doesn't have a car to get here. She relies on her car for her work, and um, it's a very very big setback for her, for anybody it would be, but um, just kind of getting started in her career is a really bad time. So um, Krista Ortiz has started a GoFundMe to raise some money for, uh, for Heaven's new ride. And so if I know some of you have already donated. And, and um, if you do not know about it, you can find it. Um, if you're connected to me on Facebook, I posted a link. I know Mary posted a link. I found it from your page. And then uh, Sam posted it on, so it's in his uh, Instagram bio. So if you find it there, I will post it today on the, on the Genesis page as well. So if you guys need a place, if you can donate, if there's anything, you know, every dollar counts. So if you can do anything for heaven, I know that she would appreciate it. And I know that she's trying to, to get the ball rolling uh, in her career, as I said. And, and so this is kind of an important time for her. So we, um, before we get started, we'll pray for the families in Nashville. We'll pray for heaven. And um, let's pray for Sam because he's sick. He actually asked Brian and I to, to teach for him, like to teach a couple of days this month, uh, like three or four weeks ago. And, um, and I almost forgot. <laughs> but then he also um, came down with, I think, a cold this week, so he's not here today. Um, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the God that, uh, that meets us where we're at, for hearing our concerns and uh, as we lift our, our prayer to you this morning. Father, we pray for the families of the victims in Nashville. Father, that there is no recovery that we're aware of that solves those problems. Uh, 
but we pray that you would be the God of all comfort there. We pray that you would give our leaders the wisdom to not just talk, but create a way forward where we don't have to have this prayer again. And we pray for heaven today, Father, as she's uh, been victimized herself with a stolen car. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a community to gather around her, to let her know that she is loved, and let her know that she is important. And what's important to her is important to us. And so we pray that you would do something amazing uh, out of this loss for heaven. And we pray for Sam that he would uh, feel better, that he would get better, that he would be better, and, and uh, that you would restore his health to him, even as we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. How about that? When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and we'd always get a palm leaf on the way in. You guys, anybody else? It wasn't only the Catholic Church, it was other, other places too. And um, as a kid, I remember that added like a sense of weightiness to, you know, what was about to happen. And I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand what it meant or even its significance, but I knew it meant something important. And some people would take those palm branches and make really cool crosses out of them. I would always take the, po- the pointy end of it and poke my sisters during the Mass. <laughs> but today marks the beginning of Holy Week, and, um, you know, there's a lot of tradition, tradition around this. There's a lot of things that we don't really know exactly the timeline of how things happen because there are four Gospels, and they're recorded sometimes in different ways. We'll talk about that later. But we know enough, and... Speaking of tradition, as I said, um, this is part of our Christian tradition. And you might be asking yourself, here at Genesis, where we take a lot of traditions and break them, (laughs) what is so important about this one that we're going to keep it? And uh, what's so special that, you know, this one that was decided 325 A.D., by a bunch of dudes wearing dresses. Why will we uphold this tradition? (laughs) This morning, I want to lay out the framework for that and to answer that kind of question. Why why is this day so important? But I hope to do so in a way that maybe engages your imagination as we let the drama of the story unfold. And with all the mystery and all the faith and all the weightiness that is meant to be here because that's what the story is, itself implies. So I want to set the scene and I want to tell the story. And I hope to give it more context than at least I was used to getting as a kid with a palm branch in my hand. A long, long time ago, about 2,000 years ago, in another part of the world, the small country of Israel, this man named Jesus had made a reputation for himself by challenging the way people were living, the way people believed, by changing the way they saw things, by changing their perspective. It was springtime, just like it is here, 
and the Passover holiday was approaching. Passover to the Jewish people was an annual day of remembrance. This was one of the most important holidays for them, still is, and, and for their faith. It served to remind them of the time that God Almighty intervened in their history. Yahweh had delivered them out of the hands of slavery to their Egyptian oppressors. Now, at the time of the story, the story of Jesus, the Jews were also, again, under uh, the rule of another country, uh, Rome, right? They were under Roman rule, still under oppression, just now under a different oppressor. What we know about Jesus from Luke 2.41 is that ever since Jesus was a small boy, his parents made the yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem at Passover. They made the huge trek to the big city where the temple was to celebrate the significance of God rescuing their ancestors, essentially saving them from the hands of slavery. Now, scholars don't agree on all of the timelines And as I said, even some of the gospel writers, even some of his own disciples and his own followers uh, that wrote down these events about Jesus, they didn't always emphasize the same things. They didn't always see things the same way. So there's different areas of emphasis. There's different perspectives as we read through these things. I liken that to that time when you, you and your best friend tell that story about your college days or whatever it might be, that one party you went to and you guys were both telling the story and you're both bringing up different things. And you're like, that didn't happen. Oh, yeah, it did. And I'm like, oh, I did that. (laughs) That's kind of what the Gospels are like. You, uh, the details are different, but you actually get a bigger understanding, a bigger picture about what really happened. Same idea here. All four of the Gospel writers wrote about Palm Sunday. All four of them wrote about Palm Sunday, only they didn't call it Palm Sunday. They wrote about what happened on that one day. That day, when Jesus and his disciples made their way to the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. That one day when everything was amazing, Everything went according to plan. That day when Jesus was ready to declare that he was, in fact, the king of Israel. Or at least he wasn't going to deny it. In fact, all of the gospel writers and Jesus himself seem to take this singular day as one of the most significant days in the life of Jesus. And for us, it's a holiday that we don't really celebrate. No one's really taking the day off. It's kind of a precursor to, you know, to Easter. And indeed, that's what it is. But Jesus seemed to put a lot of thought into the events that were going to take place on this day. Jesus planned for this day. Jesus knew the significance of what was about to happen. And he spent long and hard hours thinking about this day and this week and how it was going to unfold. 
the amount of people making this pilgrimage into Jerusalem, I've seen scholars estimate there's about 200,000 people. 200,000 people would make the trek, which would about triple the actual population of the city at the time. Josephus, the historian, the ancient historian, he estimated that there were over a million Jews in Jerusalem during the Passover. Because of this mass travel, all of these Jews celebrating their own freedom, right? Their liberation from oppression. They're celebrating the time that God stepped into their history and saved them out of slavery. Because of that, Rome also took notice of this week's festivities. With all the pomp and circumstance of a world power, military might, the impressive Roman procession into Jerusalem was set up as a warning to any would-be revolutionaries, any rebels, any revolters. So Pontius Pilate wrote in, the governor. He wrote in from the west with the imperial cavalry. Cavalry, sorry. Foot soldiers in force. It was as if to say, you Jews can have your moment. You can have this so-called freedom celebration, but there will be no modern-day rebellion because Rome is here and we're watching. They were everywhere. They were in the temple. They were in the town square. They were everywhere the people were, showing off. But on the other side, the east side, and we know that Jesus came from the east because he was coming from Bethany, and the Mount of Olives. On the east side, Jesus and his crew had a very different procession. Most likely, he entered in from what was what's known as the Golden Gate, but not the Golden Gate that we think of. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle, and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, as they rode in, this is what's on the mind of Jesus. He's making a statement. Your king comes to you riding on a donkey. Now, some of the translations say that people were throwing palm branches down in front of them. And other translations say that they were making a path of cloaks before him. But one thing for sure is that in this moment, this moment, when Jesus entered in to Jerusalem, it was an absolute celebration. Mark 11 Verses 8 through 10 says, The people gave him a wonderful welcome, some throwing their coats on the street, others spreading out rushes that they cut in the fields. 
running ahead and following after, they were calling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name, in God's name. Blessed the, com- uh, blessed the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is it, right? This is it to them. They're like, this is happening. This is happening right before our eyes. This prophecy is coming true. And they're running ahead. I want you to picture this. He's walking down a road. He's riding down the road on a donkey. And people are running around and throwing their cloaks down and throwing down palm branches. This is it. This is what the prophets of old had foretold Jesus in stark contrast to what was happening on the other side of town. I'm not saying they happened at the same moment. But what this, the procession of Rome with, with horses and military and swords and uniforms. And on the other side, Jesus enters in on a donkey. And here's the celebration. Here's what the people were saying. Here he comes, just like we hoped. In the Roman times, horses were a sign of the elite, but a donkey was a common animal, the working class animal. But the prophecy about the coming king, that was, that was for the Hebrews. And these hopeful people saw something incredible happening right in front of their eyes. Now Jesus, prior to this day, had recently healed a man born blind. Jesus claimed at that point to be the light of the world. And then he told his, his followers, you must be the light of the world. The man who had been the people's choice to be their king in John chapter 6 was now entering the gate on the prophesied donkey. And just days before this happened, just days this same Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, seemingly to confirm any doubt in the mind of his followers that this is Messiah. And now he's right here in front of them. The crowd of people were recognizing that they were in the presence of somebody important, somebody sent by God himself. And they threw their jackets down and they threw their plants. <laughs> you ever wonder why palm branches? Before the Roman occupation, the, the Hebrew people had their own monetary, they had their own money, of course. They had their own uh, coins. And on the largest coin, there was imprinted an image of a palm branch. And that's because the palm branch to them represented uh, abundance. Because where there was palm trees in arid spaces, that meant that there was also water. And where there was palm trees, that meant that there was also shade. And when there was palm trees, it also meant, especially in this area, that there would be fruit. Dates, specifically, in that area of the world. But in the wider culture of the ancient Near East and even beyond, you might remember that you know, the, the movies you've seen about gladiators and such, Olympians, when they were victorious, 
they were handed, they were given wreaths made out of palm branches. Palm branches represented victory. And this was that. Victory belongs to you, King Jesus. Hosanna, which literally means save us now. Do your thing, Jesus. Set us free. Save us from Rome. What a time to be alive. What a celebration. They thought what was going to happen was that he was coming to lead a revolt, set them free from Rome. And they had prophecies to prove it. But not everybody was happy, as you can imagine. The story has its antagonists. Luke 19, verse 39 Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they were praising him. Right? They were worshiping. And verse 40, Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You guys ever picture that? (laughs) And how many of you would rather have seen singing rocks than palm branches on the ground? <laughs> we could have called it Rock Sunday. Rock Sunday. It's got a nice ring, right? <laughs> Stone Sunday, I don't know. But what Jesus was saying is that these praises should actually be encouraged, not rebuked. Let everything that has breath, even the stones don't have breath, praise the Lord. But the Pharisees, they're upset again, right? They've been plotting against Jesus for months now because as he's becoming more popular, he's usurping their authority. Their motivation had been to squash the Jesus movement for two reasons. He was stealing their power, their popularity, their authority, and also they knew they couldn't control him. So they were afraid that Rome would take action against their religious institution, everything they hold holy, even their, even their nationality. They were afraid of everything being stripped from them. And it was the high priest who came up with a plan. One man should die so that all the Jews will not be held accountable by Rome. John 11, verse 47 Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are they accomplishing, they said, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And then in verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest this this year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Interesting subplot. For so long, Jesus was telling people to keep his secret, to keep these miracles he was performing quiet. Tell no one. But by now, by now, the word had gotten out. And everywhere Jesus went, 
crowds of people were following him around. There was no denying his power. And the Pharisees knew that too. So Jesus enters in to Jerusalem in a counter procession, lowly, humbly, it says, on a donkey, while people called him king and celebrated. But what we find out in this story is that the people did not want a new kingdom. They just wanted their own sovereignty back. They did not want the kingdom that Jesus painted in the picture of the Sermon on the Mount. They just wanted to be rid of their Roman oppressors. And in one sense, who can blame them? But what they couldn't see in the midst of their celebration, right in front of them, the meaning of this moment passed. The last week of Jesus on earth, the Christ, the anointed one who came to them in love and humility and authority, the God-man who in his very instant was modeling the way of the cross to them. But they got this wrong. And here in Matthew 23, look at what weighed heavily on the heart of Jesus. Starting in verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus had been coming to Jerusalem for years. He's been celebrating the Passover his whole life. He's been here since he was a child. These are not just his people in a theological sense, but in a very close relational way. And he weeps over them in love. And he says, do you know how many times I've wanted to pull you in close and protect you? But now the next time you say, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it will mean something different. One of the things, as I read the, the Gospels and the story, one of the things that, that I guess stands out to me, one of the things that I keep going, man, he had, he had meticulously planned the events of the week, visiting the temple, the donkey, the upper room, the actual Passover meal that happened on Thursday, during which he says, listen to his words, you have no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you. He's been living with these guys for three years. They've eaten every meal <laughs> together. But he says, you have no idea you have no idea how much I've looked forward to this one. Before I enter my time of suffering, it's the last one I'll eat until we eat together in the kingdom of God. 
maybe the only person in the story that knows what's happening is Jesus. He knew what was happening. And with great presence of mind, he, he knew exactly what he was walking into. His disciples even, you know, their inkling was like, we can't go back there because they're trying to kill you. And he, and he said, go get the donkey. I've got work to do. And imagine being a disciple, walking with Jesus beside him, and all of the celebration and all this excitement and the rush of hearing people go crazy for your friend who you've believed in for years, and now everybody is starting to see, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one sent from God. Only then to see Jesus weep as he realizes, as he knows that these very people he loves do not understand the moment they're living in. And this is where, for me, I get introspective because, I mean, is this true of me? Do I understand the moment I'm living in? Friends, do we understand the moment that we're living in? It's easy to see when you're familiar with a story to know the arc, the hero, the supporting players, the antagonists, the triumphs, the challenges. But like the people of Jerusalem, are we looking to Jesus as a pattern for our life? Or are we looking to Jesus as an example for living? Because what they were looking for was a savior, but not, save, not to be saved from sin, not to be saved from darkness, not to be saved from anything other but what they wanted, which was their sovereignty. They wanted to be saved from their slavery to Rome. Are we looking for the purpose of Jesus? Or are we also eisegeting our own purposes on God? Jesus was intent as much as he was intense. He was intent and he moved with purpose. He had planned this week meticulously. He had poured thought into it. And he was looking forward to it. And that purpose was laser-focused in this moment. And it broke his heart when he realized that he was in this moment alone. John even admits it in John 12, 16. He says, at first his disciples, he's talking about himself here, right? At first, we did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John's like, we were there. We were in that moment. We were in the celebration. We didn't understand what was happening. So how easy is it for us, 2,000 years later, to be distracted from what, we, what it is we are doing here? As I thought about the, the last series that Sam was doing, um, A Faith Worth Wearing, and I realized that that, that uh, evangelical mindset that a lot of us grew up in about, about um, having to, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but having to share the gospel in a very structured, guilt-ridden, legalistic way with all that is wrong with that statement why people cling to it is because it gives them a sense of purpose. This is what we're supposed to do. And it clicks. 
And so either you go do it or you feel guilty about not doing it. But we have a purpose. And, and we fought. Like, this is the only purpose is to share the gospel. This is what we have to do. We were either doing what we were meant to do or we were shamed because we were not doing that one thing, that one purpose that we had been told, this is what Jesus asks you to do. Now, that's a heavy, heavy burden. And if you take away my purpose, if you take that away from me, then what am I supposed to do? Is my purpose just to show up on Sundays? Is my purpose just, you know, be a good person? We're to live our faith, right? Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Our purpose is to live our faith with intention, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to model Jesus to a world that desperately needs his love and goodness and patience and grace. The kind of love that weeps over a city who just doesn't get it, even as they're staring it in the face. Are we to weep over Upland or Rancho? Are we to love those people, even the ones that stole heaven's car, even the people that voted for the other guy, even for Jen's ears, <laughs> yes, the answer is yes, 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 the answer is always yes, we are to love, we're to love our city, where we're planted. We're to love the people, even the ones that we wouldn't hang out with because they're so different, or whatever it is. Maybe we should hang out with them. The rest of Holy Week, I'll do the abbreviated version. looks like this. Monday, Jesus is going to go into the temple and he's going to clear out those money changers. It's one of my favorites. My Father's house will be a house of prayer not a den of thieves. And almost to me, and what's interesting is putting all this into perspective and all this into context, right? That when we realized that Jesus walked in, the celebration was happening, and I think at first he was like, yes, they get it. And then he realized they don't get it. He knew, but you know what I'm saying. And then his immediate reaction is like, He's going to curse the fig tree on Monday morning, right? Always a weird one to me. And then he's going to go to the, to the temple, and he's, he's upset. Man, these people don't get it. They're doing it completely wrong. But the shadowing, I think, the beauty of this is that in a couple of days, that temple isn't going to matter as the temple anymore because we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? But he's still cleaning it out. And he's still saying, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. We. He's like, I'm going to get rid of all this, this greed and materialistic desire out of the temple because it doesn't belong in the kingdom. What belongs in the kingdom is prayer and love. 
and bringing people closer to God. I always said this, right? If you ever want to see God mad, stand between him and the people he loves. And that's what these money changers were doing. He'll spend Tuesday calling out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's still angry. Matthew 23 and 25, we won't read it, but you can take a look at that later if you'd like. Serves as a good soul check to anyone who thinks they've got it all figured out. By Wednesday, Judas will have conspired against him. For 30 dirty pieces of silver, he betrays his friend. And on Thursday, he'll celebrate that Passover that he's been looking forward to. He's got it planned out. He's got a place. He's got the food. Everything's ready to go. He, he celebrates Passover with his friends. He's going to wash their feet. He's going to remind them that he has done these things as an example for them so that they can go on and follow in his example. Please hear that. How to live, how to abide, how to, how to approach life in the new kingdom. And then he's going to head out to ultimately... You know, he's going to pray with his friends, but he'll ultimately be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Friday. Friday. Good Friday, we call it. It's good for us. The trial, the mockery, the torture, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. According to scholars and mystics alike, Jesus spent about three years between his baptism and this holy week. We have a very clear protagonist in the story. It's Jesus. The story is about him, not me, not you, not us. But it involves us, doesn't it? We have the sage or the mentor character being fulfilled by God himself we have the supporting cast of characters, most of whom don't understand what's even happening right before their own eyes. You have the crowd, the wishy-washy, fickle crowd that shouts, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday, but by Friday they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. And you have this plethora of antagonists, the Pharisees, the religious Jews, they've been plotting against him for months, about six months or more. By their own words, if they let him carry on, everyone will believe in him. You have Roman rule, but there is but one king of Rome, and that is Caesar. We can't have another king. You have darkness itself, and I love that we sang Tremble this morning. What made Judas betray his friend? Silver? Was he trying to force Jesus' hand and revolting against Rome? Maybe. But this darkness itself. <coughs> Do you find yourself in this story? Is there something that pokes or prods at you that makes you uncomfortable or that is glaring in the whole of the plot? This is a story of the cruciform life. Jesus doesn't just die so that we can live. He gives himself as an example that we might live like him. With the purpose of changing the world through his love for us. Or as Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. I want to leave you with this Franciscan blessing that I think is both beautiful and challenging. And it goes like this. May God bless us with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships. So that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger. Anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people. That we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears. Tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless us with foolishness. Enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done. It's Palm Sunday. It's a significant day in the life of Jesus, and it should be for us as well. As we realize what was missing in the people that were celebrating this superficial victory, he wasn't there to save them from Rome. That's just what they wanted from him. So I invite you to reflect on what God really wants for you as we sing this next song. Thank you for tuning in, either live or later. Um, when the camera shut off, we'll, we'll continue a little bit, if you guys would like. And um, I would just like to pray over you. May you be aware of the moment that we find ourselves in today. And in all days, as we walk with Jesus, that we'd be seeking his purpose for us and not not interposing our purpose on him. And help us to follow your example, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.